0: Hey, welcome back to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, your host, and today we are looking at the 23rd Psalm. Today with me is uh, my friend and my classmate, Tobias Hatchett. Tobias is an intern at the Ninth and Main Church of Christ in San Angelo, Texas. Tobias, introduce yourself, if you will, to our audience, please.
1: Nice to be with you all today. Uh, Like you said, my name's Tobias, uh, 2022, graduate of of MSOP. Graduated with my buddy Josh there. And I've been doing some preaching here in the West Texas area, um, interning right now, and just blessed to be a part of such a great work here uh, in this area. Um, Been out of school for about a year now, and also been married about a year. Uh, glory to God for all of that yeah, that's all I all I have to say about myself let's get into the word appreciate that,
0: <laughs> appreciate that. and again thanks for being with us Tobias uh, we are looking at the 23rd Psalm as we mentioned earlier a psalm written by David uh, and there's a little bit of uh, speculation or discussion not necessarily over who wrote the book but when he wrote it uh, it's a very simple, uh, very simple psalm from an understanding standpoint. You don't need a degree in theology to understand what David is saying in this psalm. And that's why many believe that he wrote it at the beginning of his life when he was a shepherd, likely because of what it says uh, down in, at the end of the psalm. Uh, they believe that he wrote it after Samuel anointed him to be the next king of Israel following Saul. However, there are many who would argue that because the psalm touches so deep, an emotional level, that there's no way David could have written this at the beginning of his life, and they put it from uh, him writing it near the end of his life, Uh, you think or consider he had victory over Goliath and and the praise and, and joy he had in that moment, the stress he had being pursued by Saul, at the beginning, uh, at the end of Saul's kingship and and near the beginning of his. Then you have the guilt associated with his sin uh, against Uriah with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. And then the pain and the anguish and the sorrow associated with uh, the turmoil in his family, uh, spearheaded or or the pinnacle of that being the rebellion of his son Absalom uh, to his throne and you take the life that David lived and all the turmoil and successes uh and and sin and forgiveness that he experienced in his life uh i personally think this was written at the end of his life for that reason uh it touches such deep emotions it's the most popular chapter in the bible uh, as uh, according to many uh, even people who don't have any type of religious affiliation even people who never crack open the Bible, uh, would recognize portions of this psalm. Uh, And so, uh, understandably, it's a beautiful psalm. It's a deep psalm. Uh, Whether you take this being written at the beginning of his life or the end of his life, uh, we cannot uh, discredit uh, its impact on humanity uh, as a whole. And and so uh, that's the context we're going to read that we break it down. Uh, The first three verses says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What do you got there, Tobias?
1: Um, As an introductory, as I look at Psalms 23, uh, I try to outline all six verses. And I I look at it as, um, if I was to title it, The Great Shepherd. Uh Psalms twenty-three can be divided into three abilities of that great shepherd. Uh if you look at verses one through three, which you just read, we see that we serve a God who can supply our needs. And then verses four through five, a God who can subdue our enemies. And then in verse six, we see a God who can secure our future. Uh so if I was gonna preach that, those would be my three points. Um, and I wanted to ask you, have have you heard it said before? uh that psalms twenty three is sandwiched in between twenty two and twenty four and that they all go together uh Brother Roy Deaver points out uh, as I was reading his uh some commentary he wrote uh psalms twenty two and psalms twenty four they they constitute uh this tri trifecter if you would you have the saviour, the shepherd, and then the sovereign, or you could call it the cross, the crook, and the crown. Um, I thought that pretty interesting. I never came across that concept before.
0: Um, But right
1: off, go ahead.
0: That's a great point. Um, And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I think if, I I know they weren't arranged by inspiration, Mm -hmm. uh, but you'd be hard pressed, in my opinion, to argue that uh, these probably may not have been. These may have been written around the same time. Um, at the very least, the one who those who arranged the psalms in the order that they did, I think there's some intention putting mm. the twenty third psalm between the twenty second. Twenty second, you see Jesus dying on the cross. Mm. Uh, then you see the victorious King, or the King of Glory in twenty four. That's right. Uh, And I think 23 fits perfectly here. So whether whether David wrote it in this order, uh, whether uh, the providential hand of God guided uh, the arrangement of this psalm, uh, at the very least, those who put uh, the psalms in the order that they did, I think it's very apparent that they were very thoughtful with how they arranged them. And uh, I think they did an excellent job putting twenty two twenty three and twenty four together excellent point
1: I agree about because it paints like this like you said it paints a perfect picture uh before you can reign with Christ in heaven he come he comes back as the king of glory before you can reign with him he has to be your shepherd well mm-hmm. before he can be your shepherd, you have to meet him at the cross you don't meet him at the cross you can't call him your shepherd and so it yeah, does true. you meet him at the cross he becomes your shepherd and then you reign with him. Uh, in victory. That's a great so, way to look at it. Uh, yes sir. Um and I want to just jump right on verse uh number 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I heard a preacher I uh, want say he was flying from I want to say from Florida to Texas and he got on a plane and he decided since the flight was so long he was going to study uh, his Bible and he started reading the 23rd Psalm and he got stuck on the Lord is just that phrase the Lord is because the Lord is so many things but here we see David saying the Lord is my shepherd uh, and that's the phrase uh, Jehovah Rohi the Lord my shepherd and so we see God being a shepherd well, what does that entail well David personally would have known Because of his background tending to his father's sheep, he personally would have known the sheep shepherd relationship. And sometimes, uh, we kind of, we don't get a full understanding of that because in our day and age, uh, in our culture, not too many of us are herdsmen or shepherds or keep sheep. Like here in Texas, I noticed there are a lot of sheep and a lot of (laughs) cattle, a lot of farm life. And so it's a, it's a different. Uh, point of view when you look at it uh, from the eyes of a shepherd. Well, David would have known firsthand how the sheep, his entire life, was in close proximity, close relationship, uh, in view of the shepherd. So the shepherd had like a a what I would say like a personal impact in every area of the sheep's life. So the sheep would know his shepherd's voice. He would know the shepherd's presence. He would know that the shepherd takes care of all my daily needs, all my daily wants. And I I love that personal pronoun David used. He says, the Lord is not just a shepherd. He's not just our shepherd or the shepherd. He says, he's my shepherd. So he makes that relationship personal. He's my shepherd. And sometimes we love to claim this, this verse. Like you said, even if you're not a member of the Lord's church, if you've just uh, picked up a Bible once, uh, or you heard some religious quotes or seen some pics on social media, you may have come across the Lord as my shepherd. But you gotta understand, David was writing this because he could. David could write this. Right. But not many of us today could say the Lord is my shepherd because while we call him king, we call him king. We don't let him sit on the throne.
0: <laughs> oh, that's <weird. laughs> so, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because i did put i did i put a stop sign around my uh in my notes you can circle it whatever but I put a stop sign you know in to stop and reflect on it and mm-hmm. and uh you take my shepherd uh you have john ten eleven uh jesus says i'm the good shepherd he died for his sheep psalm twenty two which we just mentioned earlier. He's the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, verse 20, and he was raised uh, for his sheep Uh, because he is resurrected. We have the uh, opportunity of being raised from the dead victorious the way he was. Uh, And that's the whole thought of uh, Paul makes that point in Romans. If we're buried with him, uh, then we'll be raised with him. Uh, And I believe it's John uh, Romans 6 and verse 9, where it says that death has no more. Uh, effect over Christ, uh, and because of his rex- uh, a resurrection, uh death has no more effect over us if we put ourselves Amen. in Him. And so that's Hebrews thirteen and verse twenty, the Great Shepherd. And then you have the Chief Shepherd in First Peter chapter five and verse four, when mm-hmm. Peter says that he is going to return. Uh, so you have Jesus as and, and as uh, painting this picture of Jesus as a shepherd, the Good Shepherd who died for His sheep. Uh, the the great shepherd he was 1320 being raised he protects us from death so he protects his sheep uh and then you have the chief shepherd who will return for his sheep uh and if you want to uh encapsulate uh all the, the the responsibilities of a shepherd and show how jesus uh fits that uh, those oh, past yes. very well uh but also just it's it's that my shepherd that ownership yeah. like you said and there is a responsibility that we have we can't just claim uh ownership of of Christ or or the lord is our shepherd uh J- is james 122 be uh doers of the word and not hearers, not hearers only. only uh yes, you know same thing you know talk is cheap when it comes to to Christianity uh and and there's nothing wrong with proclaiming uh, our loyalty and our love and our devotion to God. Uh, but our words mean nothing if there are no actions to back them that's up. Right. I'm glad you pointed that out because that's a, that's a great point. We don't put God on the throne. We'll say we do, but our actions say otherwise. Right. Uh, but from this perspective uh next to this, I have Jeremiah thirty eleven, thirty one, 31 and verse 33 and 32 and verse 38. Uh, when God said, uh, I will be their God. Mm-hmm. and they will be my people. And I think that's something we take for granted is is yeah, yes, we always think about how he's our God and how how um we want to live for him in that standpoint and sometimes on the back burner we put that idea that he claims us as well and he wants yeah. to. You take Jeremiah when he said these words. Uh they were in the midst of rebellion. They were about to go into captivity. And, and yet God is saying, these are my people. Despite my imperfections, despite my shortcomings, God still wants to be my God. And he still wants me as part of his people, That's uh, right. which should motivate me and drive me to show my loyalty, live my life, showing my appreciation for everything he's done. So That's excellent. Right. Excellent point, man. What else you got on verse one?
1: On uh, verse one, uh, just reading Brother Waycaster's commentary on Psalms. Brother Waycaster points out that when Jesus says in John chapter 10, uh, verses 22 through 30, that uh, I my, I am the shepherd. I think he says uh, around verse 17, I'm the good shepherd, like you quoted. Uh, he says that's Jesus, that, that statement, that's a bold statement to make because you're claiming deity because of this psalm. When the Lord says, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, for Jesus to say, I'm the good shepherd, like you said, and even in Hebrews 13, the great shepherd. That's his claim to deity. And I never looked at it that way. I'd always looked at it as David writing his feelings to God. But we have to understand David is being inspired by the spirit of God to pen this. So God is really depicting himself through the emotions, through the wording or vocabulary of David. And that's how he depicts himself. And then Jesus comes right along and says, I'm the good shepherd. And so he's claiming his deity again, because in John chapter 10, he says, and I am my father and one. And so I, I thought that was really, really interesting. I never looked at that as a claim to deity before. Um, I just right, kind of skimmed
0: through. Excellent point. And that's interesting that you bring that up because... Another reason I think maybe we could argue that this was written at the end of David's life rather than the beginning of his life is because there's a sense of humility Mm -hmm. in this psalm. Uh, David, the author of this psalm, who was a shepherd before he became a king, is writing this from the perspective of the sheep, and and there's a humility uh, that, or a a humble attitude, that has to take place uh, from that standpoint. from the other standpoint he's a king he had whatever he wanted as far That's as right. earthly wealth and all that uh but he says because he says i shall not want uh and i just i underline that phrase and put matthew 6:25 through 26 where yes, jesus sir. makes the point that the birds of the air are fed the lilies of the field are clothed and he asked this question to those who were listening are you not of more value than they
1: that's right,
0: uh, and there are those who are richer than I who have greater accesses and greater opportunities, but they're still wanting uh and and the Christian and the one who's has devoted himself to God never wants that's uh, right, even though they may not have all the earthly possessions uh they're never left lacking uh and so uh excellent point. What do you have on two and three on two and three um, where he says.
1: He maketh me to lie down. So again, I, I kind of wanted to point out the different names. And in verse one, not only do you see Jehovah Rohi, that is the Lord is my shepherd, uh, but he also shows Jehovah Jireh.
0: Keep talking for a minute.
1: Yeah, so that I shall not want in verse one. That shows all of David's needs were taken care of, like you pointed out in Matthew chapter six. Also, we could look at Psalms thirty-four, eight through ten, Philippians four, nineteen. If you are a sheep of the great Shepherd, then all of your needs will be taken care of. So that's provided providence. That's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And then I got in verse two where he says he makes me to lie down uh, beside the uh, in green pastures and me- leadeth me beside the still waters. Uh, show a sense of peace. Uh, In order for a sheep to be able to eat, a sheep had to uh, be at peace. There there could be no friction going on in the flock. There could be no fear uh, amongst the sheep. Uh, And another thing, there could be no enemies. If the sheep sensed any kind of foe, any kind of enemy, uh, or maybe even flies kind of getting in the way, uh, they wouldn't be able to eat in peace. And so you have this shepherd who's leading them into this pasture, and then, and then, original Hebrew—it's the green, the tender green pasture, and also the still water. We know that a sheep wouldn't drink from a, a moving stream, so that the water would have to be still. Well, all of this, it, it paints a picture of peace, and so I'm reminded of uh, God's name, in in the book of Judges chapter 6, verse 24, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. So not only do you have the Lord as my shepherd, you have the Lord as my provider, and the Lord is my peace, right here in verse 2. And so uh, I, I look at that as just the amazingness of God. His name is is really in every verse. So you see Jehovah Rahat, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, uh, and God this was no accident. I'm telling you, uh, God knew what he was doing when he had David write this. Uh, and, and it's just inspired. It speaks inspiration all throughout the text. Uh, and I, and I love that, uh, makes me to lie down because I had to look at, look that up. I thought to myself, I didn't know God made us do anything. Uh, well, there are some times when we as sheep, uh, we don't know what's best. We don't know what's best for us, we don't know how to rest, and that's why Jesus would say, "Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, burden, and I will give you rest. Only the good shepherd can provide rest, so he has sometimes he has to make us lay down because in other words, uh, we wouldn't in fact, I think of uh, Genesis in the beginning, how God gave them the Sabbath, and uh I just believe, and this is me personally, not adding or taking away. But I believe if God had not given them the Sabbath and told them the rest, a lot of people, a lot of Israelites would have worked themselves to death to an early grave. Uh, how many of us today uh, work, 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 and we neglect families, work, 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 and we neglect our health? Sometimes God has to make us lay down in those green pastures.
0: Yeah, one, one point my dad always made, that even if you were to take heaven out of the equation and just simply just just remove heaven from the equation and the spiritual facet of life and and the only re- not that we should do it but just for this point that if an individual were to live their life according to the principles set forth in god's word they would have the most fulfilling life here on this earth agree uh, benefit to us from a spiritual standpoint but there are facets but but living our lives according to God's word gives us a, a a positive, fulfilled, physical life as well. And you think about it. You, you think about the warnings the Bible makes against things like drugs and alcohol. Yeah, and you you see that uh, the effect it has on the physical lives of others. You see uh, the effect that uh, adultery has on an on a marriage, uh, and yeah. uh, you see the effects uh, that even even from a, a health standpoint, not holding grudges, uh, considering others better than yourself, living a life of service rather than being selfish and trying to. To do everything out of selfish ambition, uh, physically speaking, there are benefits in those those standpoints physical benefits of of putting aside anger, putting aside hate, and those things that uh, the world uh, doesn't know because they don't follow their lives according to it so uh, excellent point i uh I think what we have here is just the nourishment provided by god yeah, uh, yeah when you lie down in green pastures uh leave me beside still waters I, I think there's a facet of this where feasting on the word and then putting it into practice mm-hmm. uh sustains the spiritual man grows the spiritual man and ultimately will pay off the greatest dividends uh for us because uh, yeah, the yeah. Uh, like Paul makes the point in Second Corinthians chapter four, starting at verse sixteen, that even though our physical body uh, dwindles away, our spiritual man grows stronger day by day, and I think that's seen here in the nourishment that that he does. So excellent. What do you got on three?
1: On three, I have, I have uh, he as he restores my soul, and there we see Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my healer, and that's found in Exodus fifteen twenty six. Uh, so again, we just see God's name in every verse and that restore my soul. I had to kind of look into that, Uh like what what, and more take does that mean? So the restore my soul literally means to bring back. Uh And then you talked about Jesus being the good shepherd. Well, when we read Luke chapter 15, we look at that parable of the lost sheep. What did the shepherd go and do? He went and brought the sheep back. God can restore us uh, if we let him. That's the thing. There's, there's a sheep can never wander too far to where the good shepherd can't go restore him. There's, there's no, there's no ditch too deep you can fall in where the good shepherd can't reach down and pull you out. And I mean I say that, and it's it sounds so simple, but you would be amazed at how many people. Don't repent or don't turn back to God because they feel like he won't forgive them. And here, I don't know if you remember what David did, but putting your, one of your best friends to death, sleeping with his wife and then having the audacity to try to cover it up. Uh, but yet still he says, the Lord restoreth my soul. Mm-hmm. I've never tried to put a man to death nor sleep with his wife, but I've, I've committed some sins in my day. And if God can forgive David, God can forgive me too.
0: That's a great point. Great point. Paths of righteousness. Um, I compared that. I think it was Spurgeon. I don't agree with, with Spurgeon from doctrinal standpoints, but I think he does a good job in the Psalms. And he just made this point about the paths. You know, we're gonna talk about in the next verse the the valley of the shadow of death mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the righteous path and the wicked path all really? eventually lead to death. Yeah. Whether yeah. you live a righteous life or, or a wicked life, death is the great equalizer of everybody man, oh, yeah. woman, rich, poor, uh, young, old, whatever it is, uh death is is a part of everyone's life. Uh, as long as the Lord continues it on, you know, continues on, and even when you talk about those being raised uh, to meet Him in the air, uh, there's still going to be that separation of their physical body now and the and the spiritual body they have. So, uh, but they all lead to that standpoint. I think it's important to point out. And if you don't have anything else on on the first three verses, then I'll just move on to verse four and continue this thought. And
1: Real quick in verse three, that he, he leads me in the path of righteousness. Uh, there we can see another name of God. That's Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord, all righteousness, Jeremiah 33, 16. And so again, it's just God's name is all through this text. It's not just in the beginning. Uh, well, you see verse one, he clearly states it, but then in verse, verses two and following, you just see attributes.
0: Mm-hmm. Attributes of Jehovah all throughout. Great point. Great point. So paths of righteousness. First four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod, and your staff, they come me. Mm-hmm. And the, the thought there is is that valley of the shadow of death. Uh that I have a footnote uh that talks about it being a dark valley, uh,
1: mm-hmm. but I
0: agree with, with many scholars that say that death is an accurate. The, the valley of the shadow of death uh, i don't think this is a valley in which death lurks i think this is a description of death itself even yeah. though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death and as we made er, made the point earlier the wicked path and the righteous path all eventually go through this valley all mm. eventually meet death uh but there's a different perspective on death depending on which path we walk uh mm. and Uh, the way I break this verse or this, this Psalm down is I I think one through three is past substantiation. So if we put David at the end of his life verses one through three is him looking back at his life and how God has always provided for him. Uh even when he was uh not walking with God, uh second Kings chapter fifteen to verse five during the sin with Bathsheba, uh when it was brought to him and he repented, God restored him. Uh and so I think you have past substantiation uh on his trust being in God in the verse three verses. I think for David's describing his his current state, his present state, I think he's approaching death. He realizes it and and that's the though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As I'm coming near the end, uh I have I still trust in God because he's proven himself trustworthy yeah. uh in his previous life. And and you can look at the life of David before he died, and God was with him the entire way. And so uh he substantiates that. And then verses five and six, the future blessings, which we'll talk about when we get there, but that's the breakdown past substantiation, present state, and then the future blessings that he to which David looks forward um but this is a psalm of trust, mm. and one thing we want to point out is that trust is never built in perfect circumstances. That's right you think about that uh um Probably the person I trust more uh, than anyone at this moment is my wife. Uh, And and the reason is because for the past 18 years, she and I have had ups and downs. And I mean, we've endured good times and bad times. And she has proven herself a worthy uh, helpmeet during the difficult times. It's easy to be married when everything's going well, but when things get difficult and rather than run, we, we you know, she stuck with me and helped me work through it, regardless of what it was. That's, that's where the trust was built. Uh, And so you look at, and I think you, and I I hope I don't steal your glory here, but I think you, you did a sermon on this and you made the point that we learn the, the greatest lessons in the valley rather than the peaks in the mountain. And yeah. I think the same can be said about our trust and uh, the fact that we rely on God is less so, at least from my standpoint, is less so in the moments when everything's going well and perfect for me and my reliance and trust in him grows stronger mm-hmm. when uh, I'm by myself, when I'm in the depths of despair, and yeah. he's the only one yeah. to whom I can go you know, and, and, uh, and I think David is reflecting on that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. Why? Because look at verses one through three, there He's it led is. Me of righteousness. He's made me lie down beside still waters. He's provided for me up until this point. Why would I think at the end of my life that he would abandon me now? And <laughs> and so uh, I think that's where we're at. Um, I circled before I turn it over to you real quick. I'm just, I circled the word shadow, and I think that's a big word. And I put the shadow of a dog has no bite. The shadow of a sword cannot cut. Uh, therefore, the shadow of death has no power over uh, the that's one good. walking alongside uh, with uh, with the shepherd. So what do you have here in verse four?
1: Verse four, I have uh, yea, though, underlined or circled, if you will. I have walk underlined. I have through underlined, and I also have valley and, like you said, shadow. Um, but but great point. I I won't even hit on the shadow because that's exactly what um I I make the same point just using a different analogy with the shadow.
0: We'll, we'll give it.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, but real quick, I I wanted to point this out to you because I know uh you're a big fan of the ESV. This is the only time I like using the ESV. Every other translation says yea though or or uh or just though, but ESV says even though, and I love that terminology because this shows, like you said, one through three, I can have the Lord as my shepherd, I cannot be lacking anything, I can be uh fed uh in the green pastures, I can be drinking from the still waters, I can have my soul restored. Even though all of that is taking place, I still have to go through that valley. Great that's, point. That's, I mean, it's scary, but at the same time, when you know who's with you, that's why he says, "Even though I'm in this in this valley, I can still walk." And I kind of make that point when I'm preach that sermon, is that if I'm in a in a valley, and I'm surrounded by shadow of death, shadows of death, things that look like they can kill me. I'm not going to be walking. Man, I'm going to be trying to run, get out of there as fast as I can. David says, I'll walk, though. David, why are you so calm, so peaceful? Why are you able to walk through a whole valley filled with despair? Because I know who's with me. Like you said, he's brought me this far. There's no way he's going to leave me now. And so David says, even though I'm in this valley, I can walk. I can take my time. And I kind of made the point because when you're running, when you're trying to rush through life, you often make mistakes. In fact, one preacher said it's easier to trip and fall when you're running. But if you walk, I notice like older older men, some of the older men, you don't catch them running even, even if they're about to, I don't know, miss the bus or they're about to, uh, you know, the door, the guy's holding the door open. He's not going to get there fast enough. Older guys keep walking. Younger guys try to run, and then you risk the possibility of falling, embarrassing yourself, making that, making that scar, if you will. Older guys have a little more wisdom. They know, hey, I'll get there, slow but show. And yeah. I think as we grow as Christians, as sheep, as we continue to grow in our Christian life, we'll learn to start walking. Um, a child of God is never supposed to be running from anything. I know this doesn't deal with uh, the 23rd Psalms, but if you look in Ephesians 6, uh, 10 and following, if you look at the armor that Paul talked about, all of it's forward-facing armor. There's nothing to cover the back because the child of God is never supposed to be running away from anything. And uh, he says, even though I walk through, I kind of circled that word or underlined the word through, because as long as you keep walking, you will make it out. And uh, if I could just go back up to verse 3, he says, He leads me in the path of righteousness. And this reminds me of Matthew chapter 4, uh, in verse 1, and the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. So that means if I'm following God and He's my shepherd, I'm listening to His voice, I'm allowing Him to guide me. Uh, Proverbs 3 5, and 6 would say, Trust in the Lord with all, all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your past. If I'm trusting in God, I'm not leaning on my own understanding, I'm acknowledging him in all my ways, then I have to realize if I'm in this valley, he's the one that led me to it. I right. have to realize that. And uh it's cliche, it's a cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. If he brought you to it, he'll lead you through it. And that's why I underlined the word through, because this is not the time to give up. If I stop walking, I'll never make it out. And right. uh, I looked up that word "valley," and I, I actually looked it up for this. And uh, I'm gonna read the definition I found. This is the geographical uh, definition for the word valley. Let's see. Make um, sure I say right. So, a valley. A valley is a low, a low piece of uh a low ma- land of mass if you will uh so uh usually between two higher forms of land uh either a hill or a mountain so i looked that up because i wanted to say by geographical definition if you're in a valley there's a hilltop or a mountaintop somewhere nearby you just have to keep walking and at some point you will make it to your hilltop or you'll make it to your mountaintop if that's what you want to call it because I, I hate sounding like a prosperity preacher <laughs> but uh it's right there in the text it's a mm-hmm. valley it's called a valley for a reason it's a valley because it's it's a lower landmass in between two mountains or two hills yeah, uh, yeah so if i just keep walking through I'll get out of there eventually, but my thing is I can't give up. I can't park in my troubles. I can't get upset and fold my arms. Uh, I believe it's, uh, I believe it's Psalms one, one through, I'll say one through six, that whole first Psalm where he talks about blessed is the man who stands, walks not with the ungodly, neither stands in the door, neither sits at the table. You went from walking to standing, to sitting, that's how you get stuck in your valleys. That's when you've given up, never stop walking, never stop walking.
0: Great point. And you're right. There is a a tone of patience and persistence uh, in the first part of this verse, uh, walk through. And uh, he says, I'll fear no evil. I've underlined fear, no evil, and just put Psalm 46. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's there that that the psalmist says, "You know, the Lord is my refuge; I'll fear no one because He's at my right hand. Be still and know that I am the Lord." Verse ten, and on that, and and uh, and what we notice here is in the first three verses, uh, the Lord is the pronouns used to describe the Lord are third person pronouns. Mm-hmm. Uh, he makes me, He leads me, He restores me, He leads me His sake, His name's sake. Now it shifted uh, yeah. to second person pronouns. You are it. with your rod. Uh, you prepare a table, um, and, and so and and one commentator made the point that here uh, through the life of David, God led him, and then you come to verse four, and now God, uh, the shepherd, is walking with him. For you mm. are with me, alongside. Uh, and that's why I think David's talking about death here, uh, in verse four is that, um, that, that, they, again, not going to abandon. I've underlined rod and your staff. Um, and I just put defense and discipline. Uh, hmm. the rod was used by the shepherd to defend the sheep. Uh, the staff was used, uh, to discipline them. If they got out of line, he would use that staff to, to nudge them, or or, or kind of, at times, you know, even kind of hit them a little bit to to get them back <laughs> in place. Yeah. Uh, and under defense, I put Romans eight uh, chapter or verses thirty one through thirty nine. Right. Uh, God before us, who can be against us? We're more than conquerors through Him. Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Um, also, Philippians chapter four six and seven, uh, the peace that passes all understanding. Uh, being anxious for nothing uh, in in those passages. So there's that that facet of God protecting us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then underneath uh, discipline, I book Hebrews chapter 12, three yep. through 10, yep. where it. it talks about that uh, like fathers discipline their children, mm-hmm. God allows afflictions to fall upon us. Uh, and at the end of verse 10, it says that we may share in his holiness. Yeah. In other words, he he disciplines us. He allows affliction to fall upon us, so that we rely on him, because God wants to have that relationship with us. And this goes back to the thought of my shepherd. Yeah, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Sometimes the the things that that befall us from an affliction standpoint are made to make us rely on God. God hmm. allows it, not that He necessarily desires that it happened, but he allows it to happen uh, with the intent, just like a a father disciplines a child so that they learn the lesson uh, and they become upstanding citizens and learn to discipline themselves. God allows affliction to fall upon us so that we realize that this world is fickle in what it provides. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and again, this is a Psalm of trust. uh, And so that's that thought, that discipline that God provides for us Allows us to trust in Him uh, and uh, grow closer to Him and have that defense. And then I just put, they comfort me, Apple yeah. I put Philippians one twenty one for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. No,
1: that, was, uh,
0: uh, that was perfect. And, and you, the Christian, goes into death comfortable. Not saying that they're not uh, scared of it. Not saying that it doesn't provide some sort of uh timidity to it uh but at the end of the day i promise every christian everyone who's died in christ has woken up in paradise Hmm. grateful for where they're at and and grateful uh um for the life that they led Uh, and so uh you have anything else on four
1: on four i'm having a see where there's one more name of God or attribute mentioned, and that is he is there. And so for I will feel no evil for you are with me. I got there is Jehovah Shema. The Lord is
0: there. Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-five. That's great. Yes, sir. Verse 5 and 6 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You're, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What do you have there, Tobias?
1: So for in the presence of my enemies, I have uh, we see another attribute. That's Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner uh, because he prepares that table in the presence of my enemies so they get to see it and then uh and that's exodus seventeen fifteen and for you anoint my head with oil, I put Jehovah kadesh, and that's the Lord who sanctifies leviticus twenty seven through eight because we know that anointing uh um, is what he would do for the Levites because he has set them apart. He does the same thing for you and i uh in romans eight twenty eight and twenty nine and thirty Uh, all things work together for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he have called, he justified for whom he justified, he sanctified and He sanctified, he glorified. And so God still sanctifies those that are his, uh, but, but you have to be his.
0: Right. Yeah. I I read in a commentary, preparing a table and anointing uh, the head with oil was a, celebration of victory
1: uh, mm-hmm.
0: if a king came back victorious uh, he would come back and they would prepare a great feast and they would anoint him uh, as a victorious uh, king there's a celebration there uh and the, in the presence of my enemies would also fall in that because it was a custom of the time to bring the conquered enemy in to either participate in the feast and celebration or to to watch it mm-hmm. uh, as a spectator uh and you know to rub salt in the wounds and and I think that's the thought here when you talk about the valley of the shadow of death the greatest enemy any of us will face uh yeah. and here yeah. because we walk through that valley of the shadow of death with uh with the lord now we come through we don't just survive death but we conquer death and that, mm-hmm. I think that's the thought here in verse 5 is we are celebrating a victory uh my cup overflows uh, is, is the thought, uh, it never ceases. Um, it's a, uh, it's, it's blessings that will have no end. And when you consider, uh, the eternal reward God promises for those who remain loyal to Him, uh, it will never end. And I, I think there's that facet of this victory and the blessings involved with it, never ending, uh, step forth here. Uh, and then I like the word surely at the beginning uh, yeah. of verse six. Um, I think uh, I have a footnote in mind uh, that says, uh, or only. So only goodness and mercy shall follow me. And you tie that back up to verse five. Uh, it's no longer the enemies of David. You think about David in his past life pursued by Saul. That's right. That's uh, pursued by Absalom during the rebellion. Uh, pursued by his enemies as a king the philistines and so forth uh and here at the end of his life he looks forward to heaven mm-hmm. and makes mm-hmm. the point the only thing that is pursuing me now good. is goodness, goodness and, mercy. and mercy and that word mercy uh is the hebrew word chesed, uh, which is one of those special words that uh we don't have an english equivalent to fully capture the full essence of the word i don't know if uh you've heard it or not but uh it's translated mercy uh here is translated as steadfast love uh in other portions uh, hosea is an example where uh steadfast love is is that is used there uh grace at times kindness at times um but it, all those words are involved in it uh, one commentator said the word said" is at the root of uh, the Hebrew word for covenant. In other words, you cannot have a covenantal agreement without this word said." Oh, wow. Uh, my, uh, my professor uh, in Bible history, who's a Hebrew scholar, uh, Dr. Rodney Cloud, he defined it like this. And I think this is the best way that I've read it described or heard it described He says it is the wealth of having a covenantal relationship with God. Yeah. And you think about mercy, steadfast love, kindness, all that. That's the, that's the benefits. That's the wealth. There's also a facet of it that talks about the obligatory commitment to that covenant. And when you think about the wealth of a covenant, yes, the steadfast love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God is all involved with that but the obligatory that god ob- obligates himself to fulfilling his promise in that covenant to those who fu- uphold their end of the covenant is that assurance is a it's a humbling beautiful almost uh we're incapable of fully understanding mm just how great that is if that makes sense putting into words or or wrapping our head around it um and so uh but i I love that thought of it's no longer the enemies that pursue me it's nothing but goodness and mercy that are going to follow me for the rest of my life." my life and even though david's you know done in here on earth now he doesn't live on earth today he still lives uh, and goodness and mercy continue to follow him now. What else do you have?
1: Uh, just in verse five, that goodness and mercy following. And um, I didn't I didn't look this up or, or nothing. I just took it literally for what it meant. Uh, and this is before I got to preaching school. So I would always say, if goodness and mercy is following me, uh, the good shepherd is leading me. Jesus is leading me as the shepherd. Goodness and mercy is following me. Uh, and then I remember David saying, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. So I got God on the side, Jesus in front, goodness and mercy following me. And I, I mean, I got protection all the way around. So what does a child of God have to fear when you have protection on every side? And just in case you thought, uh, well, what about above? And I remember, uh, I think it was Paul saying the angels desire to look. Down they to look into, and so I always picture them being somewhere up there watching, and so every side is covered. If you yeah, would just Peter. trust and follow Peter, I'm sorry, thank you. No, you're right. Yeah, and so I I took that literal man. Uh, I got goodness and mercy behind me, Jesus in front of me, God on the side of me, the angels looking down over me. What what more coverage do I need?
0: Well, that's a great, and you go to remember Job one. Uh, when Joe, right. when God right. tells Satan, uh, "Have you considered my servant Joe?" And just to paraphrase what Satan says, "Why wouldn't he serve you? You've hedged him about, you've pr- protected him on all sides, like you were kind of like you're talking about here." Uh, and and one thing my dad would always point out is notice that God never denies that fact. <laughs> he never acts embarrassed by it. He never denies it. Uh, in fact, uh, God had to let down that hedge and Mm -hmm. allow Satan to come in to afflict Job. Uh, And so I think that's a great point. I think you're absolutely right. There's no way anyone can come in to the protection of God and pull us out. That's right. And again, my dad would make this point. He'd go to first Peter five, eight, the adversary, the devil's roaring lion walk about singing. He doesn't go into the hedge or into the protection of God and pull us out. But he dangles that temptation. And the only way that we become susceptible to the afflictions and, and all that or to the afflictions or consequences of sin is if we leave that protection of God to go okay. out to that trap that's been set. Um, so, but uh, there's no no one's no one or no thing is capable of going inside the protection God makes and dragging us out against our will. Uh, so excellent. Excellent point. To, Do you have anything to, uh, else
1: to to solidify what you just said, uh, John chapter 10, uh, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give to them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man be able to pluck them from my hands. Just point. in case you thought Jesus' hands wasn't enough, he says, In my hands or in the Father's hands. <laughs> so it's
0: like, Excellent. Like you said, Excellent. Nothing,
1: nothing can pluck us out. We have to leave. I, I, uh, that's
0: all i have i all, the only thing else that I would add is I underline in the house of the Lord mm-hmm. and I just put this statement, my location may change, but my company does not, and you talk about you talk about uh you you'll you have uh green lies down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, paths of righteousness the valley of the shadow of death yet now i'm in the house of the lord and while the location changed the company does not he's always he's he's there for eternity and so uh, oh, yeah that's great. a it's a beautiful psalm uh i don't i don't think you can write something that touches you know it's it's not uncommon to hear it at gravesides it's not uncommon uh to hear it uh in during funeral services themselves uh one preacher talked about a woman who was going back for a very high risk surgery uh and as she after they prayed and as they were willing or passed him uh to go to the operating room she was quoting this psalm uh to find comfort in it uh, again a uh, beautiful psalm um i i just don't think it can touch the depths of human emotion the way it does if it was written at the beginning of, of David's life. I I think he wrote this after he had survived everything after he, David had a, he had a great life, but, uh, it wasn't an easy life. Uh, and so, uh, God proved trustworthy through that. Well, that's it, man. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on, man. Yes, sir. Great. There are a lot of things to think about, a lot of things to to look at, and it's definitely widened my perspective of this psalm uh, for sure. So thank you, Tobias, for coming on. To those who are watching or or listening, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, Like, share, subscribe, tell your friends about us, help uh, this channel grow by spreading the word. Uh, And other than that, you guys have a blessed day, and we are out.